Chapter 34 Custody The overcast skies made it feel unusually early, as Megan sat alone at the breakfast table the following morning. Sam had eaten while she packed his lunch, and she had sent him upstairs to Charlie, who agreed to help him brush his teeth and wash his face, so Megan could eat too. Howard appeared around the corner of the stairwell and descended into the kitchen. He has his coat, hat, and gloves. It's supposed to get cold today, Howard asked as he poured himself a styrofoam cup of coffee from the pot in the coffee maker. Yeah, I'll make sure he has them, Megan responded. Howard stopped and sighed. I'm so sorry, Megan. I never meant for so much of this to fall onto your shoulders. Megan looked up and saw a weary sadness in his eyes. She considered that, for him, all of the trials of the past weeks were simply the most recent chapter in a lifetime of disappointments and heartbreaks. It's okay, Howard. I, I want to help. That means a lot. He paused awkwardly. Um, you, you mean a lot to me. Setting his cup on the counter, he went to the closet and retrieved his coat, put it on, grabbed his cup and keys, and opened the front door. I'll see you after work. I'll try to be home early to help you out, okay? Okay, she responded, and he left. She watched him get into his truck and drive away as she finished her breakfast, and she was struck with a thought that she couldn't put out of her mind. What if Phil was wrong? What if Margaret is his daughter and just doesn't want to be found? She sat for several minutes in the quiet kitchen, thinking of the possibilities. Sorry I can't make it. It kind of came up at the last minute, Megan explained to Leah as they were collecting their books after biology class. In addition to complicating the morning routine, Vicky's departure had thrown a wrench in Megan's plan to meet with a group at the library after school. Had it been a week or two earlier, Megan would have been furious at the change of plans. Today, however, she almost looked forward to walking Sam home from school. Amidst all the drama with Vicky, Rom, Phil and Susan, and even Howard in his hopeless quest, her thoughts had been turned to this little boy and his sweet crayon drawing of the family who no longer knew him. Oh, no problem, Leah responded. I'll just make sure that Anthony fills you in on what you missed. Her eyes twinkled and she smiled broadly and knowingly as she said his name. So, she continued, a little more quietly but no less joyfully, how did it go Friday? Megan smiled back. Really well, she replied demurely. Oh, you have to give me more than that, Leah said, her eyes glowing. What happened? He kissed me. Leah's eyes widened. And? And it was really awesome. Megan answered. Leah grinned and touched Megan's hand. You deserve it, Megan. For some reason, the offhand compliment struck Megan as though it was the first time she had ever received one. Thanks, Megan said. Leah gave her a quick but earnest hug, and Megan marveled at how it didn't feel awkward at all. In fact, it made her realize how comfortable Leah's company had become, how, without realizing it, she had made a genuine friend. She walked out of the classroom alongside Anthony, who had appeared at her side with a gentle smile. She reveled in the fact that the silences were no longer awkward, the looks no longer hesitant. You going to the hospital later? he asked, as they approached the breezeway where they would part ways. Sure. See you there, then? Yeah. They looked at each other, and Megan wished the crowds of students walking by were gone so they could revisit the kiss they had shared in the clearing. He seemed to feel the same way, and he reached out to lazily squeeze her hand before turning and joining the flow of students up the breezeway. The cool air was finally yielding a few tiny flakes of snow as she made it to the path behind the junior high that cut across to Aspen School. She crossed through the barbed wire fence at the point where it had long ago been made passable by some fellow foot traveler. 
The land belonged to the lab or the county. Megan had never really paid much attention to the rusted signs. She rarely saw anyone else back here, and so she was surprised to hear the crunching of pine needles and the glimpse of a dark brown coat up closer to the fence around the junior high school. Ducking behind a group of trees, she peered through the woods to watch, and it shortly became apparent that her fellow trespasser was Rom, looking around a little nervously, as though he were waiting for someone. He stood and searched the forest a little, obviously not seeing Megan, before continuing along the fence line in the opposite direction. Megan thought first about calling out to him, but then thought better of it, choosing instead to watch for a moment to see if he came back toward her. As he disappeared around the corner, she decided not to follow, figuring she needed to continue on toward Aspen School. I'll ask him about it later, she thought. What's wrong, Sam? Megan asked as the boy approached. His usual cheerful run had been replaced today by a slower trudging, his head hung low. He wore his coat and oversized gloves, which finally seemed to be warranted as the afternoon chill was signaling the impending winter. Daniel is having a birthday party, and he didn't invite me because his mom said he could only invite three people, he explained. It's no fair because none of my other friends remember me, so they're not going to invite me to their birthday parties anymore, and I only have one friend at my new school, and it's Daniel. He gave a great sigh, and then paused like he was thinking, but it did not continue. Megan felt awful for him. She had felt the same way for months. In fact, it had been only recently, with the appearance of Anthony and Leah into her life, that she had felt like things were improving. And he's only seven, she thought. What would she have done if she had to face the same pain at less than half her age? I'm your friend, she said in an attempt to comfort him. And Charlie, you're at the top of my list for birthday party invitations. He gave a half smile and mumbled, yeah, but otherwise they continued on in silence. She suggested going to the Walnut Street play lot, something he asked about fairly often, and something she usually overruled. But he declined, opting instead to head back to Howard's. As soon as they arrived, he ran to the door and went in, before Megan even reached the front walk. As she approached the door, though, the sun glinted off of something in her peripheral vision, laying in the grass near one of the hedges that lined the front yard. She walked over and recognized it as the gold coin that Rom had dropped when Sean had come for Vicky. She picked it up and turned it over in her hands. One side had words engraved along four edges of a diamond. Self, God, society, and service. She flipped the coin over. That no addict seeking recovery need ever die. And four years clean. Narcotics Anonymous, she thought. In her mind, she had seen Rom as nothing but a druggie for so long that it struck her to see the coin. Four years clean. He had been clean since he jumped. She looked around at the yard. Why was it here? It wasn't close enough to the sidewalk or the porch to have been dropped accidentally. It had to have been thrown. As she put it in her own pocket and considered giving it back to Rom, she realized why she had seen him behind the junior high school, out of sight of the public. He was there to buy drugs. She wanted to go back, to talk him down from it, to make him realize what he was throwing away. She was ready to run back to the path behind the junior high, but remembered her responsibility to Sam upstairs. She wished Vicky were there, or even Phil. She ran inside to call Howard at work, but there was no answer. Charlie was at work, but he would understand the urgent nature of the situation if he could get there soon enough. She hung up and began dialing Sparky's when the front door opened and Rom walked in. Oh, hey, Megan. His voice was a mixture of surrender and despair. Rom, Megan uttered, unsure of how to continue. 
Hanging up his slightly snow-flecked coat, he turned after realizing that she was not going to continue speaking. Huh? Megan felt panicked, unsure of who she was talking to, the addict she had always thought he was, or the brother, son, and loyal friend. Rom, did you... I mean, I uh, saw you by the... She was trembling, trying to find a way to approach the subject. Rom stood there, either completely unaware of her knowledge of his actions, or hiding it behind a well-rehearsed look of innocence. As she struggled with the words, she became aware of the medallion she held tightly in her fist and realized that it might say what she could not. She opened her palm and stuck her hand forward, the gold trinket laying with the inscription, Four Years Clean, facing up. She looked up to him, hoping he would understand. Rom looked at the coin for a long moment. Megan willed him to claim it, hoping that it was still valid. Finally, Rom looked up at her. You saw me? Behind the junior high, I was cutting across from the high school. Rom looked back at the coin without speaking. Were you meeting someone? She pressed. Rom looked back up at her with a look of resignation. Yeah. A dealer? A long pause. Yeah. Megan's heart fell. Rom, I didn't go through with it, though. Megan froze in disbelief. You didn't? He shook his head. No, he answered. I don't know why. Megan looked down at the medallion and looked back at him, nudging her hand forward. He paused for a moment and took it from her. Thanks, he said, and deposited it into his pants pocket. Looking down, he gave a soft sigh and turned toward the stairs. As he did so, Megan called after him. Rom? He turned his head back toward her. Yeah? Do you like her? Who? My mom. Uh, Tammy? Rom paused, then nodded. Yeah, I've liked her for a very long time. Rom, maybe you guys being together, maybe it wouldn't be so bad. Rom seemed to brighten just a bit. Are you sure? I've been thinking about it, and I just want you and her to be happy. Okay, he answered, the hint of a smile breaking through, and he climbed the stairs. On a field, Sable, the letter A, Gills. While Megan had been able to wade through Hawthorne's prose without too much trouble, the final sentence of the Scarlet Letter made no sense. A Sable field? Gills? The terms were completely foreign to her. As she was pondering the ending, Sam walked into the room. What's that? Megan was laying on her bed and turned to her side and put the book down. The book I have to read for class. What's it about? This woman, Hester Prynne, did something really bad, and so she had to wear this red A on her shirt all the time as a punishment, and it made all the people around her treat her like a bad person. But the thing is, what she did wasn't, like, as bad as it seems but she still had to live with the punishment. And she has a kid, and when she takes the letter off her shirt, the kid doesn't even recognize her. So it's like her sin is part of who she is. What's a sin? It's when you do something that you know is bad. Sam seemed to understand the similarities that Megan was just now grasping herself. Was falling off the bridge a sin? The question caught her off guard, and she took a moment to respond. No, not for you, Sam. 
It has to be something you choose. Was it a sin for you and Charlie? I don't know. Maybe. Does she have to wear the letter for the rest of her life? No, I guess not. Her kid grows up and gets married, but she wears it anyway. Why? I think it's because she realizes that it's not something she can separate herself from. It becomes part of her, and she chooses to live with it. Sam didn't respond, and didn't seem to be affected one way or the other, though the sullenness he had left school with seemed to remain. He left the room without speaking, which concerned Megan enough to get up and follow him. But as she went into the hallway, she heard voices from the front yard, so she went into the bathroom and peered out the window. What caught her eye first was the police car parked out front. She caught a glimpse of someone stepping onto the porch and heard the front door open. She felt a sense of panic brewing up inside of her. Were the police here for Rom? If he didn't buy any drugs, would he still have to go to jail just for meeting with a dealer? She slipped out of the bathroom, stepped over Sam's coat and gloves on the floor of the hallway, and perched herself at the top of the stairs. She first heard Howard's voice. Yes, but what right does she have? The other voice was that of Officer Rowe. She doesn't have any right, Howard. She has no more claim on the boy than you do. But that's the thing. She knows that the arrangement here, it cuts across a standard procedure. You know that, too. You know that we break a few rules by doing this. Yes, but the alternative is him living in an infinite loop of foster care. You know he can't be adopted without clearing the parental rights, and that's never going to happen. It's the same with Megan. I realize that, and Howard, you know I'm on your side, right? I know this is the best place for them. It's just that she's threatening to expose the arrangement here. I don't know why. I don't understand it any more than you do. In fact, you know her a lot better than me, so you probably have a better idea of why she's doing it. There was a pause. I don't know, Kirk. She's never opened up to me. Whenever I've tried to help it has just pushed her farther away. Howard, she's on her way, and she has every intention of taking him with her. Now, she told me that if he can go with her, she won't take the case to social services. So maybe that'll buy us some time to figure out our next move. Howard was silent for a moment. Megan's mind raced. They were talking about Sam, it seemed obvious. But who was trying to take him away? Who would want a seven-year-old boy that the world had forgotten about? Who else even knew he existed? Megan, have you ever thought about leaving Howard's? Linda's voice came into her mind like a thunderbolt. Was she blackmailing Howard to gain custody of Sam? Suddenly, her questions about Sam's well-being, her concern over what he was watching on TV, what he was eating, who was taking care of him, they all suddenly made sense. She didn't trust Howard to take care of a seven-year-old boy. She didn't think this was a good place for him. There was a sharp knock at the door and the squeaking of a screen door as it was opened at the bottom of the stairs. Hello, Kirk, came Linda's voice as Megan's heart skipped a beat. As stealthily as she could, she swept across the hall into Charlie's room, where Sam was sitting, looking at a book. Sam, she whispered with a panicked urgency. Sam, Project Sigma. He looked at her with a mixture of fear and dread in his eyes, and then scrambled to the window into the light snow. As he climbed out to the roof of the porch, she quietly moved down the hallway and descended the stairs to find Linda, Kirk, and Howard standing in the entryway. Linda was dressed nicely in heeled shoes and a dark pantsuit. She was obviously intending to cast an image of confidence and power, and she did so, especially in contrast with Howard's rumpled end-of-the-workday appearance. Kirk, did you tell him what we're doing here? I think it's best that you explain it, Linda, came Rose's polite but steeled reply. 
Linda looked at Howard and took a short breath. Howard, I know how poorly Sam has been taken care of here, and I don't think this is any place for a young boy, so I've come to take him with me. You and I both know that you don't have the proper foster home papers for him to stay here, and so if you refuse, I'll report you and Kirk both to the police. Linda, Howard replied, you don't have the proper papers either. That may be, but you're not going to report me, because that will dump him into the foster care system, and I know you don't want that. Now where is Sam? Howard looked over to Megan. He's upstairs, she responded quietly, desperately hoping that he was hidden well enough. I'll go get him, Rose said resignedly, as he slowly walked upstairs. Linda, why are you doing this? Howard asked. Linda's tone was seething. Because you are too wrapped up in your own imaginary quests to take care of him, Howard. He needs someone to care for him, to be there for him, not you, Howard. You've handed him off to Megan and Charlie, who have their own lives to live, to Rom, who's, who's a drug addict, to Vicky, who is off for another round of abuse from Sean, and Phil, who is off in La La Land most of the time. Megan felt mortified by the dressing down. Her adrenaline was making her heart pound in her neck, but her body was caught between rushing to Howard's defense and running away, never to return. But Howard, whom she had expected to completely capitulate to Linda's tirade, instead stepped toward Linda with a look of strength on his face that Megan had never before seen. Linda, you can say what you want about me, but I will not stand by and allow you to insult these, these good people. You have no right. You may have left this place, Linda, but surely you realize how much you have in common with them. I'm the only one who had the sense to leave, Howard. They're adults. They can take care of themselves or not. But Sam, how can you expect to raise a child in a place like this, Howard? You've never been a parent, despite what you believe in your little fantasy world. You don't know what it's like to have a child of your own. And you do? Yes, Linda exclaimed in frustration, but immediately caught herself and cupped her hand over her mouth. Howard's eyes widened in shock as the room fell suddenly silent. Linda, you never told me, Howard began, but he stopped mid-sentence as he apparently realized the full truth at the same time Megan did. Linda, did you have a child before you jumped? Linda glared at him. You, you have no right to know anything about him. He doesn't exist. He exists as long as you remember him. No, Linda screamed. Don't you understand? He's gone. I left him there where he was supposed to have a future, a good mother, and that bridge, her voice cracked as her confident poise began to slip into emotion, it took him away from me. I was supposed to be the one to disappear from his life. He was supposed to live, to grow old, to be happy. The steel in Howard's expression was gone, replaced by pity. Linda, tell me about him. What was his name? No, she cried between sobs. You have no right to his memory, Howard. I have no right to it after what I did. Linda, the memory is all that's left of him. Don't you see? At least you have that. You can't let it disappear, too. It's torture to remember. I bought all his old toys, Howard, to remember him, and they just lay there in that box and torture me. Don't you understand? You want to remember your daughter, but you have no idea how hard it is to remember someone who's gone, who's never coming back. Howard responded calmly, Linda, I'm so, so sorry. I can't imagine what you've gone through. But please, think about what's best for Sam. Let's work together to help him, so he doesn't need to suffer like we have. 
the words seemed to speak to Linda, as after a moment she seemed to calm down. But after a quick look into Howard's eyes, she turned, without a word, back toward the door. Shielding her face out of apparent embarrassment, she walked quickly by Megan and out the front door, the screen door slamming behind her as Megan heard the click-click of her heels increase in speed up the front walk. Megan and Howard were alone in the living room for no more than a few seconds when Officer Rowe came down the stairs. I can't find Sam anywhere, he reported, and Megan went out the back door, into the snow now thickening with a building wind, to the edge of the porch where she could peer up into the tree where she knew him to be hiding. But Sam was gone.